sermon text for today uh, with Cohen. We got a lot going on, actually. We had a, a wedding yesterday. Um, the Benefields have welcomed a new baby, and the Ezels have gone on vacation. So my dad's going to be bringing the word this morning, and it is from Ruth chapter 1, and it's, uh, verse 1 through 6. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judea. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took two, these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. This is the word of God. You can be seated. Thank you, Seth. Appreciate that very much. Let me get these on where I can see y'all in these words here. Amen? Amen. It is a joy to be here. I uh, see some folks that I didn't get to meet earlier that are visiting with us and welcome, folks. We're glad to have have you today, as well as every one of you. Uh, that have come to worship together. And as Seth has pointed out, pastor is on vacation. Uh, I want us to have a word of prayer before I start. We need to pray for him. Hope you'll have a relaxing, safe, refreshing week. Uh, uh, I love that guy, and uh, I want us to pray for him. And uh, Jay was going to preach this morning, out of, and he told me he wasn't going to preach on John. He was going to preach out of Philippians. You know, he loves the book of John. He contacted me Friday. He said, well, Brother Butch, I got good news and bad news. What's that? He said, we got a baby. Baby Luke was born today a little early. Bad news is I'm supposed to preach Sunday, and I won't be there. I think it's just all great news, don't y'all? So y'all have to hear me, but amen. Today I want to uh, pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll look at some verses here together. Let's pray together. Father, we do love you. Uh, thank you for all that have come today to worship and to hear your word, and I just pray you'd open up our hearts, our minds, everything about us, Lord. Remove distractions that we might just hear your word, and I need it more than anybody uh, in my life, that we might hear your word and apply it to our lives and go from here different because of you and because of your word. Pray for our pastor. Uh, we remember him today and this week that he'd have a good, safe week with his family. Refresh him and keep them safe as they travel. And in Christ's name we pray, and amen. Today I want to mention two things, and since I'm not a preacher, I don't have a title. Maybe I should have a title. But I want us to look at two things today. Considering the big picture and considering the past. And maybe I should call this the famine in the land or something. But consider the big picture and consider the past. Now, every single detail in Scripture... Every single word is critically important. Our pastor pointed that out a couple of weeks ago, and he used a verse out of John 14, 6, that I thought was just very appropriate to teach that very lesson. 
how every single word is important. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And pastor pointed out, if you change one word and say, I am a way, it changes everything. Every word in scripture is very, very critical. Every little conjunction, all of it matters. But with that said, it's also important that we see these little details in light of a big picture. Um, simply, God has been unfolding a redemptive purpose and plan throughout all the ages. Has he not? The biggest and the final of the, of the big pictures, if you please, God will bring all things together through the person and work of Jesus. Everything, everything will be brought together in that big picture. And it all, it's all about Christ. In Galatians uh, chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, the Bible says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Amen. Details. A lot of details, but that's the big picture. All the Old Testament points toward Christ. Everything we have in the New Testament points back to when he came. And much of our New Testament points to when he's coming again. Look at uh, Luke 21, 27 through 28 with me. Uh, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. King James would say, our redemption draweth nigh. There's a, an old country song. There's nothing theologically <laughs> biblical about this, but it says... I'm in a hurry to get things done. I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I gotta do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and I don't know why. Y'all probably know who y'all probably know who did that song. Does anybody know who did that song? Uh, some of you didn't know. I point that out to say this. That's a problem that I have in my life. I'm always in a hurry. Um, I'm in a hurry to get things done, and I don't know why. I've got to get on to the next thing. I'm in a hurry wanting to get through this because I don't want y'all to be here very long. Just, I'm always in a hurry. Sometimes we need to be in a hurry, but I really need to slow down. I'm trying to learn that. When I get in a hurry, it's very costly, and uh, that's when I knock things over and break them. That's when I don't make good choices. And uh, I've found out that that hurrying can carry over into our spiritual life if we're not very, very careful, if that's part of your personality. Um, when I look at the scripture, uh, I see all through the scripture. I was thinking about Psalm 13, 1. We'll look at all that Psalm later, but David said, I mean, he, he was in a hurry sometimes too. He said, Lord, oh Lord, uh, will, you, will you forget me forever? He starts asking questions. The prophets uh, and many in scripture we're asking the Lord, how long, Lord? We're, we're impatient here. Have y'all ever done that? And I read some of these questions that people ask the Lord and think, you shouldn't speak to the Lord that way. But the Lord didn't mind our questions. Um, and many throughout Scripture said, how long, how long? And that's been me this, this, this year especially. Uh, 
I have been sick basically the whole year and I can't get well. One day's better, one day's two steps back. And we've prayed a thousand times and I'm saying, how long, how long? And I'm trying to realize and get it in my heart and in my mind, there's a big picture. God's got a purpose in everything. He is sovereign and he knows what he's doing. Um, so I've learned one thing, seeing the big picture requires usually waiting. And we don't, we don't like to wait too much, do we? I know I, I'm impatient. I'm very impatient. But here's a comforting verse, and then we're going to get back to, to Ruth. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Familiar verses to most of you. And here's a couple of questions that Isaiah, I think, is asking to us. Have you not known? Butch, have you not heard? <laughs> You're not paying attention? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Our culture is a now culture. Got to have it now, right? And I'm the world's worst. It's, it's a drive-through culture. Got my app. I, hey, if you, I got upset yesterday. Pam and I stopped at a drive-through. And nobody came to the window and took her. I mean, nobody's ever there but us. A whole minute passed before they waited on us. <laughs> Now, I, couldn't, I thought, you're supposed to be there to wait on me. We got to go. It was perfectly all right. They were busy. They were just very kind to us. I was the one that was impatient. Uh, God is not a drive-through, my app and a drive-through. He's not a drive-through God. Amen? And it's a lesson I need to learn. So let's look at the book of Ruth. It's a little bit, a little bit of a different take maybe on uh, what we usually talk about in these familiar passages Ruth, uh, this was probably written around 1125 to 1100 years before Christ. So let's look at verse one. In the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Famine in the land. There's been famines throughout scripture. But here in Bethlehem, Bethlehem means house of bread. They had always had plenty of food. And uh, all of a sudden, there's a famine. Uh, over time, probably not the first year, but then the second year of the drought, who knows? I don't know how long this had gone on exactly. But here's a man that has decided, we've got to leave. We've got to sojourn. He's protecting his family. He's decided to leave. He's had, made a decision he has to leave everything. He's got a parcel of land, which is very important. Uh, but he's got to leave everything behind. And you know, famines were common in Scripture. If you go to Genesis 12, you can see in Abraham. Uh, if you want to talk about Isaac, you can look at Genesis 26. And more familiar, one real familiar, involving, involving Jacob and his kids. Uh, Genesis 41, 42, the story of Joseph. We're all pretty familiar with that one. Um, so here they go. 
They're trying to live and get through this famine, and this man makes a decision. They're going to make a journey. Listen, Bethlehem is close to Jerusalem, about six miles south. When you leave there, you go through some rugged country, way down in the valley, above the Red Sea, above the uh, uh, Dead Sea, excuse me, way below sea level and back up in high mountains on the other side and way down below to get to Moab. It's a tough journey. It's rugged. We've been there. It's a rugged place. And they, didn't, they couldn't travel like we travel. This is a huge decision. And on top of that, Moab. If we look at the history of Moab, it hadn't always been the, the nicest place and the folks that get along with the people of Israel. Uh, the history with Israel, with God's people, is not so good. There's conflict. There was one 18-year period where Moab oppressed Israel. So listen, here's, here's a family facing a very tough situation. They have to make a decision. They've got to travel, rough travel. What are they going to do when they arrive? They didn't call ahead to book a, rent an apartment. Um, they got to have a place to live. I mean, this is a step of faith to keep from dying. They've got to take a chance and make a decision. And so uh, here he is, he and his wife and his two sons, they head out. They face a very tough situation here. And they don't know what they're facing until they get there. Is that, is that me and you today sometimes? Is it? Sure it is. Let's look at verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech, <clears throat> and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judea. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Uh, we're, we're, we're told their names here. We're told where they were from. Ephrathites, that's the ancient name for Bethlehem, Ephrata, Ephrata, however you might choose to pronounce that, Ephrata, was the name, ancient name for Bethlehem. Elimelech, the man's name, means my God is king. This probably was a very devout man who loved God, served God, was faithful to God. We see he's a protector of his family. He wants to lead his family to keep them from starving. Uh, he, he's a landowner. The word Naomi, her name means pleasant. Uh, but when I looked, checked on the names of these boys, one means sick and one means pining. So I'm wondering, okay. But names are very, very important. Uh, and I think they probably meant to stay there just a little while for about a few months or a year till things could get better at home, don't you? They didn't know. I believe it was probably a temporary thing they planned to do. But this verse says they remained there. It didn't go kind of like they thought it would go. They thought it might be for a season. Have you ever been in a situation you thought, this will, this will pass. This is just for a short season. It'll be good tomorrow. Um, you thought it would be temporary, yet it lingers and lingers, and you prayed. I, I've been there this year. Didn't, it didn't get better as quick as I thought it might, or hoped it would, or prayed that it would. We've all been there, and some of us are there right now, probably. Look at verse 3 with me. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, 
and she was left with her two sons. There is a sudden shock here just in a few words. It's just like, boom, hey, Elimelech died. Naomi is a widowed mother with two boys living in a foreign land. Some of us in here, through our lives, and even maybe even more recently, have had sudden shocks. Maybe it didn't come in one day, but it came quicker than we thought, and it's a shock, and our lives changed. Do you think this changed her life? <laughs> I mean, really think about what's going on here. So, if we put ourselves in Naomi's shoes, and it's hard to walk in somebody else's shoes, but I think when we're studying scripture, we really need to try as best we can. <clears throat> and here's, here's what I mean by that. You and I have the Bible, so we know the end of the story. Whatever we read in scripture, whatever's going on in anybody's life, you and I can flip a page or two sometimes and we've got the end of the story. They're living this. They don't know tomorrow. We know what happens the next day. We have the end of the story. If we could kind of remember that when we're looking at what people are going through, that they don't know all that we know now. They didn't at the time. I think it helps also a whole lot in studying the word together. And so I, I pause and try to put myself in, in this situation. All right, look at verse four with me. She was left with her two sons, and these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. Now, I don't know if the boys were old enough when they got there or if a little time passed, but they spotted them a couple of good-looking Moabite girls eventually. That's what boys do. And fell in love, and they decided to get married. Uh, Ten years pass. Ten years. In four verses, four verses that I just read, just a few short verses, we've probably covered, we know at least ten years, but if you count the journey and everything else, I don't know, I read one commentary that said maybe twelve years here. <clears throat> this covers twelve years. Maybe it was more. I don't know, but it was a pretty good bit of time and a lot went on in four verses. So, at least when we get here, <clears throat> these boys have got married, there's family. So maybe things are going to settle down and this family can begin to have a normal life best they can. The boys will have children, make Naomi a grandmother. It's going to be fine. I, I can see, you know, that's kind of what we figure would happen if we stopped right there. Look with me at verse 5. <clears throat> And both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. When you think it can't get any worse, it does. Both the sons die. <clears throat> the details in these in the events in these five verses are astounding. Naomi's living alone now among pagans. Moab's people are are pagan idolaters with Chemosh as their deity. 
They sacrificed children. That's the kind of folks these were. Part of what they did was children's sacrifices. I want us to remember that, that very point in just a minute. But here's Naomi. She knows the one true Jehovah God, the God of Israel. So what's she going to do? Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. There's only one thing. She had, she'd heard things had gotten better back home, so I've got to go home. She must return to Bethlehem, and clearly I believe she plans to return. And we can read the scripture. We won't today, a little time. She did plan to return alone. She asked those daughters-in-law to stay behind. Uh, and she probably thought if they'll stay behind and I'll never see either one again in that world that they lived on. I don't know that. Again, she's facing that rugged journey backwards. A woman alone, she's probably hopefully got some friends or a caravan that can take her. A tragic story would end right here and any reasonable thinker would say, if they didn't know any more of the story, they would absolutely say, yep, let's move on. Two more about women. Yeah, they're going to stay behind. She'll go back home. Makes sense to me. Over and done. But in God's providence, which is another huge study in and of itself, I want us to look at verse 16 and see what really takes place. Y'all are familiar with these. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. I'm going to say no, Naomi had no doubt continued all these years to worship the one true God. I think she'd been faithful. I don't think she'd compromised one lick toward that pagan religion where she lived. She stood alone. And the reason I say that, Ruth now accepts and wants what Naomi has. She wants what late Naomi's life had demonstrated day after day through a lot of difficult years. What a witness. I, I hope people will see me and want what I've experienced with Christ. I don't I always show that. I, I hope people could see that and want that they would step even out of a pagan religion and want Jesus. Hard stuff <clears throat> when I think about it. I want us to move on down to verses 19 through uh, 22 here <clears throat> and look at something else that's taking place. <clears throat> so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. This is Naomi and Ruth. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem 
And pay attention to this. At the beginning of barley harvest. Little detail, but it's in there for a reason. Do you ever feel like God has dealt bitterly with you or he's gone somewhere? He's just disappeared? Let's be honest. We, 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 all, we all feel that way at times. And uh, <clears throat> I've asked how long? <laughs> how long? And these events which, are, which are, are about to take place are not, they're just too numerous to cover today. We won't go into that. A lot of you know what the story of the book of Ruth. But they're not coincidental. It's not some of this was bad luck and some of it was good luck. Luck is not even a word I think can be defined. I don't even think it exists. There's no such thing as luck, in my opinion. So this little detail, they arrived at the beginning of barley harvest. Why did they have to stay so long and now everything's good and now the barley's coming? What's the big deal? It's a very key detail into the bigger picture. Let me summarize in lieu of time. It's in the barley fields after they get back. It's probably in April or May. Where Ruth, the daughter-in-law, would be discovered by a man named Boaz. Who happened to be related to Elimelech that had died. She would later marry him and have a son. It's all because something that took place, she was noticed in the barley fields. Not a coincidence whatsoever. All right, we'll skip a lot of details here. Go to chapter 4, book of Ruth, verse 13 through 17. Is that up here, guys? Oh, these folks are just wonderful back here. They take care of everything. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her. The Lord gave her conception. She bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. Listen to this. Look at that. He was the father of Jesse. Who was the father of David. Ruth, the Moabite woman that came out of a pagan situation and went through every bit of this, got her heart right because of the witness of Naomi. Would be the great-grandmother of David. She is in the physical lineage of Jesus Christ. You're talking about a big picture. This is a big picture. Here's why I told you to remember the Moabites believed in child sacrifice. Ruth comes away from that and trusts God and a child in her physical lineage be Jesus himself. He would face death, but he would rise again. 
he would give the ultimate sacrifice for me and you. I am overwhelmed when I see little details and how things go on and on and on. And I think about my own life and I'm thinking, there's a big picture. There's a big picture. I'm having a struggle with that from some days, but I'm trying to remember that. As a believer, I'm part of a big picture. Are you? You absolutely are. We are. Whatever God's doing, we may not even see it. We may not know it in our lifetime. We might. We might not. It may be a, a, a week, maybe a month, maybe years. How many times have you heard about a loved one passed away and they'd been witnessing to somebody in their household or in their family that had been lost and they'd witnessed to them for 40 years and they were never saved. And at the funeral, that loved one gave their life to Christ. I've heard that as truth a number of times. So, here we go. What about Ruth? Do we always know what it's about? Did Ruth always know? Did Naomi know? She did not know. We, knew the re- we know the rest of the story. Look at her life and how she lived. She didn't know all that. Considering the past, and I'll try to just close it up here. I said two things in the beginning that uh, I want us to look at the big picture. And I want us to consider the past. Because I need to remember when I'm struggling how many times God has blessed me over and over, little things, big things. You couldn't, I couldn't even count them all. It's so easy to forget that. Uh, remembering God's provision, His protection, His blessings are good. They're essential. When we're wondering what's going on or we're or we're, you know, or we're wandering, just out here wandering around like, Lord, where are you? We've got to remember. Um, let me mention the, 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 the famine again. We talked about famines earlier. There was all these famines, and this story starts out. That's what this was all about. When there's no famine, none of this happens. Uh, there was a potato famine in 1845, I believe is when it started, in uh, Ireland mainly. Y'all probably familiar with that, the potato famine. It was huge. People starved to death for about five, six, seven years. I've read where there's estimates that a million people died from starvation or diseases as results of trying to eat something they didn't need to eat, malnutrition, other diseases, directly or indirectly, a million people. And Another million or more immigrated and left to try to, like Limelech led his family, to keep from starving. It was a huge famine. Um, and I've thought about something when I look at that. I, I did one of those uh, DNA things where you find out who you're kin to. And uh, I always kind of knew this, talking to my parents, grandparents, and so forth. I'm about 40% Irish, somewhere along that. And then I go back and look, and they've done some research in the family tree. The Irish part of my family appeared that they came around the 1847, 48 over, and they finally worked their way down into the Carolinas and 
Some of them move over to Alabama eventually. My folks are probably, I'm probably here today because of a famine. I mean, really? <laughs> and talk about details and then big pictures. There was a man named John Fitzgerald Kennedy. He was president of the United States, elected in 1960. Y'all remember the group Alabama? Do you remember John Kennedy? Probably do. John F. Kennedy was the great-grandson of a famine, potato famine immigrant. His family came here because of a, of a, of a famine to keep from starving. Little detail there. What's the big picture? <laughs> I mean, we're reminded throughout Scripture of God's sovereignty, His faithfulness. Probably the most mentioned is the exodus from Egypt after 430 years. Passover was established and of course, the event would, in God's time, coincide with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Look at a couple of verses, then we'll go. The time that the people of Israel, this is Exodus 12. Let's talk about remembering now, looking at the past. The time they lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was night. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. Don't forget. Don't forget. There's probably more references than to, to the flight out of Egypt in the, in the Bible and references to any other event. If you, if you just look, they're always reminding them. Don't forget. Do you remember? Look at Joshua chapter 4, 19 through 24. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. They encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. Those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He made a little stone uh, remembering kind of a thing there, like a statue. He said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Remind them of the past. Don't let them forget what God has done. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Consider all that God has done. I need to be reminded every day and I need to remind myself every day like the Israelites it's too easy to forget. Then when Things come in your life. Oh, what am I going to do? I can't wait any longer. Lord, where are you? I certainly need to remember the past, how God's good, and realize I'm part of a big, big picture. Every little detail. No accidents. No good luck. No bad luck. It's all about what the Lord is doing. The big picture. <clears throat> 
that revolves everything totally and completely around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Psalm 13, I mentioned the very first verse when we first started. I said, David said, oh Lord, um, I want us to look at the, the whole six verses. I believe there's six. Is that right, guys? Five, five, six. There's six. <clears throat> David said, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O oh Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Notice how quickly he goes through all this. And right here, obviously something comes to mind. He's considered some things that he hadn't thought about maybe up here. He stops and says, and he remembers, and he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord why, even with all the troubles, whatever it is, for him, for us, because the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. And he has with me. And he has with all of us. Consider the big picture and consider the past. That'll help us walk through a lot of things, sudden shocks, smaller things, bigger things, loss of a loved one, grief, loss of a job, whatever it is, loss of health, which I've battled all year. Some of you have too. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we do love you and uh, we thank you that in every little detail of our life, uh, you're involved, you care, you know about. It's all a part of our story and your big story, bringing everything under the reign and rule of Christ. And uh, ultimately, he's coming again. And we're looking forward to that time uh, with you. And it's an eternal time. Until then, Lord, help us to uh, realize your sovereignty, realize the work that you're doing in our lives. And, in the lives of those around us. Help us to be patient and, and wait and trust you. Lord, help my unbelief. Help us to trust you more. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. And amen. Say it.